you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. James, would you go in the office and give me some water, please? I've not forgotten about the book of Titus. Uh, It is probably the next week or two we'll be in that book. I just wanted to preach some things uh, that seem to touch on the situation that we are living in in our day and time in this country and uh, the concern for its effect upon the church. And so this morning we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. Would you check and see if there's some glasses in there somewhere? Um, should buy the computer. Second Timothy chapter three. We're going to start our reading in verse 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good. Thank you. But only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have served, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are unsetting uh, the faith to come. Uh, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone clings himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor. Honorable you set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's service must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patient and patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May God perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to see through their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uh, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, 
burdened with sins that led, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will, have, will be plain to all, as it was to those two men, as was that of those two men. Let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Please, let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this day for the scriptures. And may your word, Lord, be uh, the path, be uh, our sextant, be the way of navigating our life. We pray that you would be with us as we now consider your word. Be with me as I preach it. Give me grace upon grace and help on help, O oh Lord, to bring forth this word with clarity and unction of your spirit. Be with the congregation, our God. Take away the dullness of our hearts and minds, we pray. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you like science fiction? Yeah, I like science fiction, too. I like it a lot. In the 1950s, there was a plethora of science fiction movies made, uh, in part because of the development of the atomic age. We were on uh, rudimentary aspects of the space age. And communism uh, was spreading throughout the world. All of these played a factor in a lot of the science fiction movies that were made in the 1950s. Uh, one of my favorite ones uh, is uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, made in 1951. Another one in that same year was called A Thing from Another World, which starred James Arness, as you know. And then um, the, uh, uh, the one that was made about 1957 was called The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, in that movie, uh, there were these seed pods that looked like a big kind of, kind of a big cabbage of some sort, and they would put them by the people, and the, and, the, and eventually these pods, which came from outer space, there were aliens, would take over the human life, and, and so all of these creatures were taking over the world, and it was un, unknowable because they looked just like they did the other person. So the only way you'd know it is when you saw their actions or they tried to entrap you or they tried to turn you into one of them, which was happening throughout the movie. And well, in our text this morning, uh, Paul speaks to Timothy about what I have called alien Christians who are in the church. They are false professors of the religion. And they are creating havoc in the church, so much so uh, that it is spoiling uh, the gospel in the hearts and minds of some and leading some into sin. Now, some people have said to me that they are so discouraged because it seems that evil is getting an upper hand in our country and certainly there's a lot of ungodliness that's very apparent all around in our nation, very, very apparent. But that the thinking of the world and the thinking of our leadership, which is worldly in so many ways, uh, has begun to influence the hearts and minds of some believers. And we can say this, well, is abortion actually wrong then? Uh, when the government sanctions it, even pays for it, 
Well, are we misguided in our own thinking? Uh, and the same thing with same-sex marriage. Well, everybody seems to think it's a good idea. And, and so that thinking, you see, works its way into the heart and mind of the church. I heard a Christian say one time, you know, a girl had become pregnant. She was not married. This believer said, why doesn't she get an abortion? Well, the government said it's okay. You know, that's what happens when you're not instructed. That's what happens when you are given under the sway of, of the worldly thinking rather than Scripture. Because we know that abortion is wrong because it is an attack upon the sanctity of life. Well, I was to see this this morning, that even though some in the church will actively try to undermine the gospel, even though some in the church will actively try to undermine the gospel, it happens all the time, or to give a gospel, that's not the gospel at all, but rather motivational speeches. But not really coming to a text of Scripture and unpacking the heart of that text and preaching that text. In too many cases, that simply is not happening. So even though some of the church will try to undermine the integrity, the heart of the gospel, God's people must be confident that Christ will preserve his truth. So we don't tuck tail. So we don't become afraid. So we don't become discouraged. Our God is in control just as much now as he was years ago. Back even when the Puritans covered our country. The same God is in control. The first thing then is that your trust in the power of the gospel will be challenged. There's a solemn warning given here. Up in the early verses, Paul talks about a big house and the master of the house. Of course, it's a reference to Christ. He talks about vessels in the house, how some vessels are vessels of honor. They're gold and silver. Like you remember Cornelius, uh, uh, the, the, the fellow in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Yukon Cornelius, loved gold. Jill remembers. He loved gold. Well, those are honorable vessels in the house, gold and silver. They have others of wood and such. They're not quite so honorable, and their use is not as honorable as the gold and silver. The gold and silver are probably for drinking wine or, or feasting or having a meal or something like that, and the others are probably for waste. So he compares the church to that and says, likewise, in the church, you have vessels of honor. Well, who are those who are vessels of honor? Were they the true believers? They're the ones that are seeking to honor Christ in the church in their lives day by day, that is the vessel of honor. And they're seeking to promote unity and peace and the gospel and good in the church. But the other is vessels of dishonor. And he describes those people here in these words that he used. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And so the one who is of dishonor is one who basically has denied the gospel, not simply completely because they use it and cling to it enough to have a, uh, a, a uh, uh, soapbox, if you will, for, for promoting their thinking and promoting their ungodliness. And really what we see here happening probably in the church is an early form of Gnosticism which denied the, the incarnation of Christ. And their people are denying uh, that they are claiming that the resurrection has already taken place. But Paul ends up this warning with the hope of repentance. Deal with them gently, he says. Deal with them in kindness, not arrogantly, 
You remember what it says in the scripture, beware lest you fall yourself. But deal with those people, he says here in the text, kindly, uh, for the purpose of bringing them to repentance. Not for the purpose of being simply a friend to them, but the goal there in dealing with them is bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that's what he says here, that uh, perhaps it is uh, that they will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will come to a knowledge of the truth. To come to knowledge of the truth is come to a knowledge of Christ. It's the same thing. However, even though there is that hope of the administration of God's grace that leads to repentance, even though that is there, the church will exist in the midst of times of stress. Imagine you're having a dinner party with about 25 or 30 people, and it is on the fancy table, and it's got the silver and all that stuff, you know, the, the best china and all that. And the roast burns, and the food's ruined, and so there's nothing there. And people are supposed to be at your house in like 10 minutes. What you, All you do at that point is call a pizza place. That's all you have to do. You can still use the china and the silverware and stuff, you know. That's what I would do. Melinda would. And I don't know what she would do. <laughs> I really don't. If that happened to her, I'd just call the pizza place. Let's go get some sandwiches. That'll do. No, it would be very stressful for the mill to be ruined. And for people to come in and see you're crying and all that, that would be very stressful for everyone. Well, that's what it's like. There's stress in the church, he says. There are times in our life now in the midst of stress surrounding the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we live in the time of trials and persecution against the gospel and against truth. Listen to this. People hate righteousness. If they're not converted, if they're not converted, they hate righteousness. They hate godliness. They hate holiness. And that is being what is being described here by the Apostle Paul, the exact opposite of those things. But Paul says, understand this, in these last days... Uh, we are going to live in trouble. Understand this, in the last days will come times of difficulty, times of stress, times of persecution, times of conflict, just because you're a Christian. Now, the way you avoid that, you see, is you jump ship and you go on the other side. The cause of the stressfulness. And so you become one, then, who is a lover of money, one who is proud and arrogant, who is abusive, disobedient to parents, and so forth. You join their side. Well, the stress is taken away, you see. At least that kind of stress that is caused because of being committed to Christ. These last days, he says. That's the time between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. We've been in the last days for a long, long time. And they put it that way because the next great event that takes place in the history of redemption is the return of Christ. That's the next great event to take place in the history of redemption, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these days will be hard. You remember what Jesus said, in these days you will have trouble. In these days you will face persecution. In these days you will have difficulty. In these days you will see the church attacked. But he says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, says our Savior says our Lord. So Paul wants to assure Timothy that there will be difficult times in these last days. And he does this for two reasons. In the first place, he does it to keep Timothy from being, being naive. Because you can see how once this starts, you begin this question, well, where's the power of God's Spirit? Where's the, 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 the influence of the gospel? 
And so he wants Timothy not to be naive. Timothy, in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. And then he explains why. Well, because of the people and how they are. And also, not simply to keep him from naive, not being naive, but also to encourage him in fidelity to do what he is supposed to do. Timothy is to minister in the church, keeping in trial, and I'm keeping in mind and that there will be opposition against the gospel. There will be opposition against the church. And let me say this. We do not accept it. We don't accept it. We don't accept people saying things that aren't true. We don't accept people saying things about the church or about Christ that are not true. We don't lie down and say, well, that's just the way it is. We're in the last days. No, Timothy is instructed in this manner that he might be faithful in preaching and teaching and clinging to the gospel. Because the hope of our country is the gospel. Do you hear that? The hope of America is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not who's in Washington. That's significant. It makes a difference. But the hope of our country is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is where truth is established, truth is propagated, and peace is secured. So he has reminded him that he will and suffer persecution. And he then uh, calls upon him uh, to trust in the power uh, so that the gospel must be maintained. Trust in the power of the gospel because it must be maintained. If you begin to think God's not with you in the scriptures If God is not one who is going to bless his word, if God is not one who is going to hear the prayers of his people, then let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He wants to encourage him to maintain, to keep on keeping on, if you will, in his labors for the cause of the gospel. Uh, And these people that are professing Christians are in the church. They're a part, they're, they're sitting on the pew next to you. They're in the church. They're not outside. They're in the church. They're seeking to influence others in the church, as we see here in the text. So he, he talks about these people. And one of the big problems is uh, they're lovers of self. Uh, they are lovers of self. Let me read this quote to you. The selfishness which is condemned is that regard to our own interests which interferes with the rights and comforts of others which makes self the central and leading object of living and which tramples on all the world when it interferes with that. And again, aggressive for their own interest regardless of the welfare of others. That's what selfishness is. Having to have my way and having to have it so that I can be happy. Because there's nothing more important to me than my own personal happiness. So they are lovers of self. They are lovers of money. Trade is common among false prophets, among false professors. Uh, again, silver and gold. Yukon Cornelius loving it. And that's where they are. Uh, and they love it because of its influence, because of the power it gives to them. Uh, when, uh, whenever, uh, when every case is out to get what he can, when everyone is out to get what he can and keep it, what he has, this makes men dangerous to one another and obligates every man to stand on his guard against his neighbor. Let me read it again. 
When everyone is out to get what he can and keep what he has, this makes men dangerous to one another and obliges everyone to stand on his guard against his neighbor. Uh, it's just the selfishness that knows no satisfaction ever and a desire for wealth that knows no satisfaction ever and will not ever dream of giving anything uh, that you have this valuable uh, to the well-being of, of someone else. Uh, so he says they, they're lovers of self, they're lovers of money, they hate others, they're oppressive to others, they're boastful and proud. Uh, here the false prophets, uh, false professor, hater of parents, we read here. Not obedient to them, they do not respect them, nor do they respect their God. They are also ungrateful. So all of these uh, descriptions uh, of uh, these false professors in the church uh, indicate to us that the one who is self-centered, that little or no good can be expected from them. The one who is self-centered, the one who is described by this, self-love being a long train of sin and mischief. When men are lovers of self, there can be no good expected from them. Matthew Henry said that. This is really a person who is all beside, I mean, their, their main focus is themselves and their happiness and what it is that they want is the most important thing. Well, he says here they have a form of Christianity. Again, they are professors of religion. They claim to be believers. They are called Christian. Their name is probably on the roll of a church somewhere. They have joined a church. They have joined a group of believers uh, in our day, there would be those who would attend worship regularly. They'd be here throughout the year. And yet it says here they simply have a form of godliness. They observe religious uh, holidays. They observe worship. They do all of these things. They're, again, affiliated with a church. And it's possible that they are leaders in the church as well. But it is nothing but a form of Christianity. The word means a draft or a sketch. Uh, the word in the Greek is metamorphosis. Uh, it is something of shadows without substance. They have their religion. They have perhaps a creed. They have the catechisms. But they are destitute of life in God. Don't let this pass you by. These people are religious people. They're not just people who are out to kill the church. They're religious people. But their hearts are dead. And they're involved in activities of the church. But it is a faith that has no substance. Paul presents a clear contrast between possessing an outward form of Christianity and possessing its power. What is the power of the gospel? Well, it is the power of faith. It is the power of knowledge uh, of sins forgiven. It is the power of knowing how to live by God's grace righteously and in obedience to Him. It is the power to bear up under adversity. Uh, it is the power to be determined to live, uh, live before God uh, in, in holiness. If we are going to live in obedience, it takes commitment. It takes making decisions that are pleasing to God. Commitment. It doesn't come without commitment. It doesn't come without effort. 
So this person that's being described here, the false possessor that is in, professor that's in the church, is an individual who has no desire really to be one who lives consistently or righteously before the living God. And what does Paul say to do here? Well, he says to avoid them. He says avoid people like this. Why? Well, because they're poison to the church. They bring disunity. They bring disharmony. They take advantage. They put themselves in front of others, and they do so because they are self-centered lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, he says here in the text. This is the first century. It sounds like today, does it not, as he reads these, as he describes these people here. So as Suzanne used to say to me again and again, human nature does not change. It doesn't. It does not change. So they are to be avoided according to what the Apostle Paul says here in the text to Timothy. Avoid them. Uh, why? Well, because they do harm. He says they prey on weak women. Paul does not say in this text all women are weak. He doesn't say that. He doesn't believe that. There were women that ministered to the Apostle Paul and ministered with the Apostle Paul in the church. These are women who for some reason or another have a weakness and they are somehow in some way easily deceived. And so these men take advantage of that. And they bring ruin to the lives of these women. And they continue to use their influence to bring ruin to the church of the Savior as well. So they are always hearing and always boastful about it. But they always miss the mark, he says. Why? Well, won't God honor us if we truly seek to learn? If we give ourselves to Bible studies, if we give ourselves to prayer, won't he bless that? And the answer is yes, that he will. When we come before the Scriptures, when we come before our God in sincerity, when we come before him truly desiring to be Christ-like, truly desiring to please him, he hears that. But keep in mind the character of these people. Again, they are lovers of self. They are lovers of money. They are proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappreciable. That's the, that's the nature of these people he's describing here. And so he says that they give themselves to learning, and to, to, but never come to a knowledge of the truth. Because they're learning for the wrong reason. They're not coming with humility. They're not coming in sincerity. And he compares them to two men that opposed Moses in the Old Testament. It's very interesting. Um, uh, the two men that he mentions here, uh, Janus and Jambres, they're not mentioned anywhere in the Scriptures. They're not mentioned in the book of Exodus. They're not mentioned having stood before Moses. They're mentioned by other writers, other uh, Jewish writers. They're mentioned. And we know that they were true because Paul mentions them here as well. And they were magicians, not musicians, magicians. <laughs> magicians. You know, those guys that stood before Pharaoh and they imitated the, um, with their arts, imitated the, the miracles of Moses until Moses created life out of the dust. They were not able to do that. Well, that's who these two men were. But the encouraging thing, they opposed Moses, they opposed the, they opposed the Lord. So here, the people described here oppose the gospel, they oppose our Savior. But they are a part of the church. They are false professors. 
The encouraging thing here is that trust in the power of the gospel will be rewarded. What does he say here? In the last place. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. Well, what happened with those two men? Well, eventually, God showed himself to be God to the Egyptians when they were not able to duplicate the miracles that God was doing through Moses. And then finally, the firstborn of every household died. God proved himself to be the God of Israel. God proved himself to be the God who was the uh, sovereign God over all things. Those who distort the gospel will not get very far. And so that we go through this and we learn from this that God would have us to be encouraged in the face of opposition. Encouraged in the face of persecution. Encouraged in the times when people are calling the gospel nonsense. And when we see a country that's going in the opposite direction of righteousness in so many, many different ways. You know, when I was little, a long time ago, <laughs> uh, they had public service announcements on television. And uh, they were worship uh, in the church of your choice. You know, go to worship. Public service announcements. Back in the late 50s, early 60s, I don't remember when they quit. Now, if you know who Frank Zappa was, Frank Zappa made fun of that on one of his albums because it shows where his heart was. So we are to live our lives encouraged. And God is not concerned uh, with your playing games not pleased with that what god wants as we read here in the text are people who are sincerely committed to living a life pleasing to our great god so he says flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace with those who call on the name of lord from a pure heart that's what his desire is for us and so we then in the church or to see to it that we are those who promote peace. We are those who promote unity. We are those who promote courage in the face of opposition. Do you think that it's impossible for the church here in America to undergo the kind of persecution the church underwent in the Middle Ages? Do you think it's impossible for Christians to face the kind of persecutions Christians faced in the first century? It's not. But we don't lose heart because our God is sovereign and our God rules. And what a great, listen to this, what a great, great benefit for the believer not to be afraid of death. Not at all. The other day, my son Jonathan called me, and Jonathan and uh, James and Jess and uh, little Sawyer and uh, Knox, John, James's dog, were looking at, they'd been walking in Memorial Park, and there was a train blocking their way. So they talked about, well, let's go between the cars and cross over to the other side or go underneath it, you know, and get to the other side. And they were standing on railroad tracks, and while they were standing on the railroad tracks, you couldn't see the end of the, 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 the train tracks because the curved and the other train was in the way. They felt the train tracks rattling. 
And then it happened again. And John said he looked up and about, I don't know, 200 feet away was this Amtrak engines coming about 70 miles an hour. And they had about two and a half seconds to get off the tracks, which they did. I'm very thankful for that. Now, Jess said it was no big deal. He's a man who's faced death many times. It doesn't bother him at all. But you see how quickly life can change? How I possibly could have lost three children, a grandchild, and a dog that day. I didn't. I didn't. And I'm thankful I didn't. But you see how quickly our lives can be taken away. And yet as believers, we're ready to go whenever God wants us. We don't do foolish things like sit on train tracks when you can't see the ends of it. But we're ready to go whenever God wants us to go. And we can face it calmly and bravely. And that makes us very bold for the gospel. That makes us very strong in Christ as we realize what our Savior has done for us by his act of redemption. The hope of our nation, not in Washington, is in Christ. Let's pray.